0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. And um, great, we're going we're gonna to continue on the theme that we've been talking about a lot this, this year. And um, I was, uh, wanted to preach on something else. And we have a seniors club now. There's some of the seniors here, Um Albert, Tani Nancy, and all the people here, Tani Mari, all of them are sitting here, Johan and them just wave, all the seniors, uh, that's people that pray a lot for you and when they show that finger then you repent before they say anything, but on Thursdays once a month all the seniors meet and um, Albert didn't know but he actually confirmed what I felt on my heart, part of what we need to share about this this morning and we're going to get around to that, but our theme for the year is to to make and become obedient disciples that are rooted in Christ. You're going to get tired of hearing this until it becomes a culture in our lives. Because the challenge for us and most of you that have families, you know, Umkasi Karsten said something last year that really challenged me in the way we think. He said, there are a lot of Christians in living in a home, but it doesn't mean that it is a Christian home. You know, if we, if we just have church because it's a couple of events, uh, we're going to get into trouble. If we go to church and we don't become the church, and we realize like we are the church, then um, church will always be limited to something that happens maybe on a Sunday. And Sundays are important. They went from house to house. They went to the temple daily. Uh, they had church every day. Uh, But more than that, it was a lifestyle of a community, a vibrant community that loved God passionately and they loved each other. And yet um, we're living in a generation where the scripture says that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. A lot of people are going to say, hey, love, 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 but it's not love. It's lust because lust is what I can get out of something. And unfortunately today, a lot of people have that relationship with God or with the church. I want to get something. I want to be a consumer. And hey, if the sound isn't right or the pastor's jokes isn't nice or he's too short, you know, then I'm not happy because that irritates me and that irritates me. But then we become the center of our relationship with God. But what an opportunity when you become a true worshiper. What an opportunity when you begin to walk in God's ways. One of the testimonies from Stephen Lunger that was here uh, last week shared, just challenged me so much, but he said with his five children and 15 adopted children and the grandparents and a lot of people being there. So they are 30 people and they, they had food the previous night and the next day there's just no food in the home. Not rice, not sugar, nothing. There's not bread, there's no money for food, no nothing. And um, so it's the evening of the next day. For 24 hours, there was no food. And now they're sitting in the room and they're thinking like, and two of the kids are already crying because there's no food in them. And then he said, told his wife, okay, go put out all the cutlery. Put out the plates, put out the knives, put out the forks. We're going to sit at, ta- at the table. And so here about 30 people sits at the table, but there's no food. Now they hold hands. They're gonna to start to pray. So first he thanks the Lord for the Lord's goodness, and then him and his wife, while two kids are still like, crying because of hunger, just doesn't pray for the food. They start to pray for Uganda and Kenya. Because that's what the Lord says. Ask me for the nations. Don't ask me for food, ask me for the nations. And about 20 minutes later, somebody knocks at the at the door. Ba ba ba, you know, and then he goes out. Um, and there's a man that says, are oh, you Mr. Lungu? And he says, yes, I'm Mr. Lungu. Um, he says, because I've been looking for you for three days. But come. And then they go go to the car, and the station wagon is packed with food. Fresh food, rice, sugar, enough for the whole city of them for six months. And so they carry all the food out into the house. And um, just when he carries the last bag, the car just whoops in the car He's gone. Still today, he doesn't know who the person is. And there was an envelope of 100,000 quachas for another six months' food. But I, I think, like, sure, I would have panicked, you know? said, God, why don't you come through with your promises? Lord, you said, you know, you look, look at the birds. You know? But our mindset, when it's a consumer mindset, it's all about us. And then we get offended with God and with each other. But God is raising up a bunch of servants, of people that, that say, hey, I want, I want to be obedient. Because that obedience and faith is to set out the table when there's no food. <laughs> okay? The Lord said, so we're going we're gonna to act. You know, I would have been moaning, oh, Lord, you know, where are you? <laughs> Why are you so quiet? <laughs> okay? There's a lot of quiet people here. Okay, but hallelujah. So... So we had these pictures up there from, are we going to, as a church, going to be a maternity ward or are we going to be a mortuary? In a mortuary, everything is cold, clinical. You can dissect all the doctrines. You know, everything is right. But church has never been called to have these perfect doctrines. Everything sorted out. We have God at a distance and we have people at a distance. Now, if you've, if be, if you've been in a nursery, then, oh, it is, it is crazy. It's just babies, but it's life. I Amen? Herbie, amen. Okay. Herbies, Herbie, I'm just speaking to all the young married that still need kids. Going to get kids soon. Hallelujah. Twins, triplets, the Lord says go and multiply. So we, um, we looked at a couple of scriptures. On, on what, what is this? And church is going to be messy. Relationship is messy. Would you agree? It's, it's anybody that's got family, you have all your stuff, your expectations, and then you get those kids. And they, they ruin, they, they short-circuit everything here. Because the way you planned and the way you think, and then you talk about your different kids. I have three different children, and they are so different. I remember one day we had this church social, and we're driving back, and as we stop in the driveway, the, the one child says, Oh, I want to be at home. I, too many people. Then the second child cries and says, oh, you know, now it's boring at home, you know, this, we want to be with the people. And the third child was just staring at the roof, you know. And I thinking, like, how can five people in one house be so different? It's just like, you, you don't know how these things work together, you know. And so, so the beauty of relationship, when it's real, it becomes authentic, it becomes, hey, we're in, in our faces and we... Everything you're, everything about you should show up, the good and the bad. But I, why do we bec- become hypocritical with God and with others? Because we're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid to open up because maybe somebody's going to see who I really am. And then they're going to walk away because so much of the Western world is motivated by rejection. And the fear of rejection and the fear of failure. And if we live in that space, we'll never have that opportunity to really live in relationship and so listen to what chad asby says okay what a what a surname asby okay in the church we don't have externalities to fall back on we aren't blood relatives we don't all have the same skin color and we don't make the same money come from the same schools or enjoy the same things we have jesus that's it and he is enough Jesus draws together those who wouldn't naturally hang together. This is why church feels unnatural sometimes, even forced at times. And so it should. Because love is not just a feeling, it takes work. God gives us an opportunity to open up our hearts. And so in John 15, Jesus makes this profound statement, scripture that we've all read I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Now he says this thing. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches, you abide in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. It's it's always amazing how scripture has these extremes. Without me you can do nothing. Sure. One of one of the greatest revelations of the cross of Jesus is the surrendering of your will. We focus a lot on the pain of the cross, but the toughest thing for us as humans is to surrender our will. Because we want to be in control. And so the centrality of the cross starts with, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. And it is so tough, because if you think of your sin or you think of your family, the first thing we think about is like, hey, I'm going to make a plan. Especially, especially South African people, we are good at making plans. We are good at actually making a joke about something. You know, I don't know if you've seen all the ESCOM jokes, you know, or the SAA jokes, you know. The, the economy is like in dire straits and there's a lot of stuff going right. And then you get these jokes coming through, you know. you think like, w- who thought this out, you know, where did this come from? Because we can actually laugh about our circumstances a lot. We can, we can make a joke. We can make a plan. And that is good. But Scripture says, without God, you can do nothing. If we don't realize that, if that's not the place where we start, then it's always my will and my ability, and, and I bring my best to God, but then the rest is I'm afraid to bring all the bad stuff to God. I, I like to open up the front door and bring out the silverware and all the stuff, you know, and bake the best cake for Jesus sit him down in the lounge and say, Jesus, you're welcome here in front where the best stuff is, but there at the back, that little room, I don't know if you've ever had somebody coming to visit you, and everything is a mess, the children maybe messed up everything, and you realize like, wow, we've got an hour, and then what you do is you grab everything that's lying around, and there's this one room. You go to that one room <laughs> and you drag everything into that room. You you know that for three months you're not gonna know what is in that room, but there's this one room, you know. And we, we just hide everything in that room, we close up the room. Why are some people laughing so much? You know, and there's a there's a couple of wives looking at the husband like, ah, oh, I told you, yeah, 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 you know. And so we hide everything in that room, or that room where although you you've moved three years ago, but it's still those boxes are still there, you know. And you think like And then we close the room, lock the door, and say, like, don't open this room. Don't let people see what's actually going on in that room. (laughs) But isn't it amazing we can't hide anything from the Lord? (laughs) Especially in the South African culture, you know, we, we had on our farm had this big front area where all the best painting was, but the kids were never allowed to play there in that room. Because when visitors came... When the domini came, that was, that's it, you know, silverware. The silverware was never, never taken out, except once or twice a year when the, the snob people come, or they're really important people, you know, the really, you know, and then, then it's everything, you know. And then, oh, now, Oma would say, no, that, that carrot cake, you know, the people would sit there, and we realized that Oma didn't bake the cake, but now suddenly she baked the cake. She bought the cake in Bredastorp, you know. She drove all the way to Bredastorp to have the best cake. And you think like, what? You know, but kids can't play in the front room because that's like. But you know how many times we do that with Jesus? You're welcome here. But there's back doors. And so the greatest part of your life and the toughest part for you as a Christian and for me as a Christian will be to surrender our will. It's tough. And so Jesus says to this, He says, Look here, you, you need to bear fruit. You can't do, can't do anything with me. But, but if you as a Christian and I as a Christian, if we're not going to understand this, that God has a specific relationship with us. Jesus is the vine. We're connected into Him. He's our life source. We can't do anything. But sometimes the Father will come and then He will be called the vine dresser. And I, I grew up on a, on a farm. We had we formed with everything cows, sheep, wheat, everything you can think of. But we also had vines on our farm. And now you will harvest and then there's a specific time of the year where you will cut those vines that there's nothing on it. There's some wine any wine farmers here, there are a couple here in church, you know. Don't worry, it's not a sin to be a wine farmer because of you know. But do yourself a favor, in a couple of months' time, when winter comes, what happens is they, they, they cut that thing back as if there's nothing. You think there is no way this vine is actually going to live. And then that vine has to, there has to be a very cold temperature, minus two, minus three, for three or four weeks for it to go into a rest, sort of a sleep, so that it can recover. But as Christians, we don't, we don't want to think that sometimes the Father walks into your life and He says, I'm going to be a vine dresser. I, I need to, to cut off some branches. If you're a consumer, then it, you'll never have a relationship with God like that. Go, oh, oh, oh don't, don't cut that. Oh, no, no, oh, no, no, no. I'm offended with you. Don't do that, you know. You're not allowed to do that. But we all have some branches. But if we understand the heart of the Father, why is He a vine dresser? Because He wants you to bear fruit. We don't cut those branches because we want to kill the thing. Say, oh, I want to get back at you, you know. Let's have this one. Let's cut Peter that he really suffers, you know. Because he can see the picture of the fruit that's going to be coming out of this thing. And so if you and I as Christians don't have this relationship that we allow God to be the vine dresser, what will begin to happen is we'll, we'll just become fat Christians, spiritually fat consumers, just grow. Oh, but you'll get offended with God. Why? Because there can't be fruit. Now we started an uh, apple orchard in our, on our farm. And it was really tough economical times. And so what happened is the first three years, it doesn't bear any apples, but maybe then maybe the fourth year. And so I remember that was such a tough year on the farm because all the finances went into this apple orchard. It was about, I think, eight or nine hectares the first season. And so my dad just decided to look here. He's not going to cut this you have to have the branches in a specific way, and then you have to take off a lot of apples, even, the small apples, so that apples can be the right size. But that year, he just decided, look, even if you had, to say, 60 apples a tree, he just left it for 90. And it was just, like, blooming. That apple tree like, was, like, like this, you know. <laughs> it was, like, all over the show, almost, I fell off. But that's uh, so... Was hanging all over. It was bearing so much fruit, and, and we just had extra tons of apples on on in that specific year. But because it wasn't pruned properly, the next three years that orchard suffered tremendously. So will you allow God to be a vine dresser in your life? Will you allow God? that he uses other people around you to be pruning agents in your life. We don't, we don't like that because I just want to know what's in it for me. I, 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 I want to I, I shine. <laughs> but then sometimes we bear all this stuff in one year, And this is what he's talking about. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Isn't, isn't that amazing? We, we can think of this as a negative thing, but it is actually so amazing. It's actually so amazing if you allow God to sometimes even discipline you and sometimes not answer your prayers. And you want to have a duck lip, you know, you're having a thick lip. You know? Throw a tantrum. And just say, God, no, 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 I'm not going to throw a tantrum. I'm going to believe you. Because it says here, when you ask him, once you abide in him, you're going to ask him and it shall be done for you. And then what begins to happen? You begin to bear fruit. When Jesus is going to come back, he's not going to look for how many church services you've visited. How many times you've read through the Bible. He's coming to look for one thing. His faith and fruit. That's two things. Okay faith in fruit, okay, it's connected it's connected so yeah but Lord I've, I've, I've been giving and I've been like worshipping and doing all this amazing stuff went all over the world Lord says but what was the fruit I asked you to bear and maybe it's something very simple because sometimes we are always thinking in terms of oh now I must go to India because I'm not, I'm not worth the while if I don't go to India no no just, just start in your home just just start right where you are. Say, so Lord, when my neighbor drives past me, I'm not going to swear at him or anything. And Maybe it's just my garden. I want everything to be a testimony unto your glory. Because God is glorified when we bear fruit. But if we're consumers, we eat all the fruit. We pluck all the fruit off and we say, oh, let's just portray the fruit. <laughs> and then we eat other people's fruit. He says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you, abide in me. Why are you so quiet this morning? Everyone's like, oh, no, I didn't want that. You know, I don't want God to prune me. But how many of you at this moment, because I know it's a word for a lot of people here. You're experiencing a a bit of pruning in your life for the past couple of months already. Just, just waving. You think like, oh, you're working through issues and you're telling people like, I'm a work in progress. How many of you are saying that to a lot of people now, okay? You just think, of, oh, under construction, yeah? But it's beautiful. Because if you don't allow God to put you in a place and a space where you can be under construction, we fall into spiritual pride. And spiritual pride is the most ugly thing. Because we think we've arrived. And that's why the key when you embrace this season of your life is just humility. Just say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I surrender. Lord, this will of mine that I want to I, I do it and I want to... I surrender. I surrender. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. If there's not fruit in your life, if you don't have this relationship with God that can prune you sometimes, that can take you sometimes through tough seasons, what is going to happen? You're never going to experience the fullness of that joy. Thank you for those three people that just yawned. I forgive you. Hallelujah. Okay. (laughs) These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. It means we can lose our joy so easily. It means that your joy can be half measure, but there's a joy God wants to release in you when you have a specific relationship with the Lord that brings such freedom because it's not about the outward stuff. It's what He's done here in your heart. <laughs> you know, I said to him, Stephen, a couple of times this week because more than 500 people, especially school, school children, committed their lives to Christ in this week as he was covering a lot of schools in the area. I said to him, Stephen, I, I don't know, but you're 80 years next year. I want to have that joy that you have. He's just thankful for everything. You know, now we had to rush and we just stopped there at this one cafe and the the chips is like not lacquer and the chicken, I don't know, the chicken, you have to pray three times over that chicken, you know. And he's just enjoying it. He says, I have an international stomach, he says. Yeah? I said, no, I have to pray five times over this chicken. But anyway, any case, so... And I thought he just enjoys it so much. Why? Because much has been given, much grace, much grace. But we lose our joy so easily when it's tough times or God doesn't answer our prayers. You know, oh, uh, uh, you know. But we don't realize what joy God gets. You know, and and so growing up on this farm, I'm using a lot of examples from us in the farm. When we, especially when it was wheat time and we had to go and harvest, it was crazy. You drive out onto the farm. You'll test the wheat, the temperature of the wheat, because it had to be the right temperature. Had to, you know, It couldn't have a lot of humidity in the wheat itself. So, But that moment, you, you were preparing for weeks. And when that harvest is ready, that day, it's like all hands on deck. Everything has been prepared. The combine harvests, everything has been made ready. And then it's from 5 a.m. till 12 In the night, all hands on deck. But the joy of that life that comes, the joy of the seed that you have planted, the seasons that you've waited, because sometimes you stand on that farm and you just stand and you pray, Lord, let the rain come. Because if it's not going to rain now, so we'll drive, drove out to the four corners of the farm and anoint it every day and say, God, on this farm, it must rain. (laughs) Yeah. And then the most amazing thing happened. We had, same region, twice the amount of rain than the farms next to us. Because we realize without Him, we can do nothing. Farmers understand something. Soldiers understand something. Uh, athletes understand something about the discipline and the processes that you work through. But the joy that you get when you bear that fruit, when that harvest comes into your life, when you begin to say like, wow, you know, I realize now what God is doing. And remember, you you can't see the full picture, and that's why trust is so important. Father, not my will, but your will I trust. We don't like that. That's why we're so quiet this morning. But in any case, these things I have spoken to you that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Sure. But see what begins to happen. If we remain in that place where we don't allow God to do what He wants to do in our lives, then, then it's always like we become suspicious. And we spoke a bit about some of this stuff last week. I'm not going to go into all of that. But we, we begin to slander. We begin to gossip. We begin to say a lot of stuff. We form cliques. We get us suspicious. We get offended. We get isolated. We become deceived because we, be, we think we're an island on our own. We don't realize how much I actually need the people around me and how God is going to use them to sometimes be part of this pruning process. (laughs) Why? For fruit. For joy. For faith. Now, most of us in the context that we live in, we've maybe never begged for food. We've never, you know, because we can choose what you want to eat and have three different meals, although most of the people in the world don't have that privilege. But I remember there was one time when my wife and I, we just got married. We were so excited, started to work, had a big loan to pay off. And on the 20th of the month, in February, we still lived here in Clover Road. We were six months married. We were so excited about everything and no food in the house. Bank account is minus just a red. I'm colorblind, but I could see the minus, and that wasn't good news, you yeah? know. So it's the 20th of the month, and now we're sitting there, and we literally don't have food in the house. So we're sitting there in Clover Road. The first thing that wants to happen is I want to get offended with all these Stellenbosch people that eat at all these fancy restaurants and have all this nice meat, and I come from a meat farm, so. So, so the first morning, I, I just moan. Now we don't. we, we had some bread, but just like. So we're sitting there and I'm, now it takes me some moaning, you know, I moan, moan, moan. And then I realize, like, and the Lord says, you've got so much to be thankful for. I thought, okay, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And when that moment shifted of just being thankful, so I'm sitting in my quiet time room and just starting to thank the Lord, just starting to praise him. I Lord, I thank you for this moment of toughness. Thank you for the opportunity to trust you because I've never been here, always had stuff. And so now we're sitting there, and there's no lunch, drink water, evening comes, no food in the house. I said, Lord, David said, I was young and I was old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. So we trust you. So we're living behind this house that evening. There comes a guy with this old Mazda, like... (coughs) And he drives right into our backyard. So I'm like every good husband, taking out the laundry, putting it on the laundry, you know. <laughs> I didn't do that so ordinary. But in any case, so, that's why I bought a dishwasher. That was the first investment I made into our marriage. It's just like, all the men just get a dishwasher, Hallelujah. And, and know how to use it, okay? But so, um, so here we are, and so we, we're sitting there, and this guy with this old, rusty Mazda stops in, in our backyard, and, and he stands there next to the the Mazda, and he smokes like, my first thing is like, I want to just judge this guy. I think like, why do you do this to your lungs, you know? Sure, because now he's sitting, and eventually I walk past, I ask the guy, he says like, you know, what are you doing? And he says, no, he's waiting for his brother that lives in the, fr- in the house in the front. Can he park here? Yeah? I say, yeah, yeah, you can park here, yeah, you know. And, and he just smokes. I, th- I thought the car was on fire by the way that he was smoking. So it was like one cigarette after the other. And this guy, you know, the pants was wearing down. Yeah, you know, you could just see all of his jockey and all of the other stuff. But so everything was hanging out. And I thought like, yeah. So in my mind, I'm just judging this person. I'm just thinking like, oh, you know, you, you're really not good with your lungs. But in any case, so... So after a while, now I walk past him twice or three, but I'm, I'm just, I'm nice with him, but in my head, I'm sort of like thinking like, you're a guy, you, you need to get a life. But, um, and so after the third time I walk past him, the guy looks at me, but his eyes are like round like this. He says, do you want meat? I'm thinking like, is this now a spiritual connection? Is this now... You know, is, is this like, Cause this guy looks like a bit like a hippie. He's, I don't I know, can't figure him really out because everything is like hanging. And he's like, I'm thinking like, is, is this like a secret language he's using? I, I don't understand exactly. And I, and I say, no, no, thank you. No, no, thank you. And I walk into the house. As I go through the front little door, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, never reject the vehicle I want to bless you through. And I thought like, Okay. So I walk back to the guy and I said, Sorry, what did you say? He says, Do you want meat? <laughs> I say, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just depends on what type of meat you talk about, you know. <laughs> and then he opens up that Mazda's boot. You're the best Karoo lamb. Bags and bags full of it. Real sausage. Like, probably 40 kilograms of meat. And he says, take it all. I say, who are you? Are you an angel? <laughs> but then I realize angels don't smoke. But hallelujah. So in any case, so... <laughs> so I carry the stuff off and he closes the boot. Goof, gone is the guy. He didn't even wait for his brother. I thought like, wow. But then I walked into the room and I repented. I said, God... I say I trust you, but what if it sometimes comes through ways that doesn't fit my paradigm? And then you humble yourself. Galatians 3 says this, For we are all many as are baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. When we come to the church and we realize, like, sure, we may be very different, but we're all equal before God. And when we treat each other in that way, just starting in the church, just the community where God has placed you, something is going to begin to happen in your life. You're going to have opportunities and your love will be tested. Just like in your own family, more so much in your spiritual family. Listen to this in First Peter 4, our last scripture, and then we're going to pray with each other. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. He writes this many years ago. He says, it's the end times. And you need to be focused. You need to be watchful. Don't just like, oh, Lord, yeah, maybe tomorrow, maybe three months from now. He says, every day you live it as if it is your last day. You don't. Live because you're driven, but you live because you're urgent. You're intentional. And especially intentional about your relationship with God and your relationship with people around you. You know, when I came to salvation, the guy who discipled me walked the road with me for three years. And he spoke stuff over me. I'm here because of somebody else that saw something in me that I never dreamt would be possible. Many of you know this story. I said, like, you know, he said, this guy's going to go into the full-time ministry. I wasn't good in English. So I thought, like, half-time, full-time. Soccer. So I'm going to run onto the soccer field or rugby field when it's half-time. And then I'm going to preach the gospel. And then somebody else is going to come when it's full-time because that's the way I need to practice. And then eventually I'll become full-time when the, when the game is finished. Then I'm going to, then I need to preach. <laughs> I thought that's full-time ministry, you know. But this guy just took me on this journey with all my mess, with all my stuff, all my rejection issues, all the fear of intimacy. And he just took me and became a friend. And we were 14 guys that he did that with. And I thought that was the norm in the church. That's how we do church. Then I realized, no, no, that's not the norm. <laughs> the norm is we come to Sunday, very formal. But church should be messy. And we're experiencing a great time in in this church specifically because a couple of years ago we went through a massive crisis about six years ago. And now it's so beautiful to see how God has restored, but God is beginning to birth life and give life again. And many of the people that were hurt and left the church those times are all coming back. And it's such a beautiful sign because, hey, we won't reject anybody. Yeah, everyone is welcome. Even if you were offended or even when you were hurt, even when there's like painful stuff. But we are committed to a process of growing together and of pruning so that our joy can be full. So that we can glorify him by bearing fruit. You can't bear fruit if your joy is not full. And your joy can't be full if you don't bear fruit. They're connected. And that's why Jesus says you must be connected in me. So don't be connected in the church primarily, be connected in Jesus. Don't connect to the pastor, connect to Jesus. He's the vine, amen? I I'm not the vine. And too many churches build their church around the pastor or the anointing of the pastor or the songs we write. or the. We don't build the church. Well, we're not supposed to build the church. Jesus builds the church. But we don't put it around a character or anointing or a short man or a tall man or a good-looking man, you know, because... Then we're going to have like stage personalities and we're going to say, Oh, I like that guy. And no, no, no. They, in shofar, I hear this a lot. They just preach topical stuff. They don't preach expository preaching, teaching. That means you preach through the books of the Bible all the time. I said, Oh, what did Jesus do? Parables, stories, life. And well, we can probably, it's great to preach expository preaching, but it's not about expository preaching. It's about the accuracy of the word. Is it the life of the word? And today we live in a consumer-orientated environment. So most people come to church once every three weeks. So if I preach Ephesians 1 now, and you come in three weeks' time, do you know what? You're going to get deceived because you didn't read Ephesians 2 and 3. You just had Ephesians 4 now. So is the preaching then blessing and building the whole body or is the individual? We don't build a church around the individual's need. Church is not your body. Church is family. It's celebration to God. Ooh, you know. The pastor didn't do a seven-year doctorate in theology and he doesn't dream in Hebrew (laughs) and prophesy in Greek. Sorry, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm just an ordinary person serving an extraordinary God. And I see a lot of people like that over here. And that should make us free because please don't put your expectation on me. I can't do that. Don't put it on any of We can't be God for you. But we can create an environment where you'll be loved, where you'll be challenged, where you'll be pruned, where you'll be connected to the vine. Will you grow? Sure. Verse 8, listen to this. First Peter. And above all things. This is now before he warns them of the great persecution that is coming. I wish you must read the whole chapter because at the end he tells them there is a tough time coming for you, church. But he says the keys to that is be serious, be watchful. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Oh, Petronella is coming to visit us tonight again. Oh, she just, when she tells stories, it's just too long. It's just too boring. She just talks about herself all the time. But you know, we must do that because the pastor said we must invite them. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God isn't just in your connection with God, it's when the church begins to minister the gifts God has given to them, to each other. That's when God's manifold grace is beautiful. Because you know, an apple tree isn't standing there on its own in your backyard, and it's great for you, but apple trees are in orchards. And you spray them together, you prune them all together, they go through seasons together. But if I just have one apple tree in my backyard, I'm going to have some apples, but I'm going to attract every fly and every firefly and every disease, you know, to that one tree. But there's so much more protection when we are orchard together. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another, as good as stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with ability which God supplies. That in all things... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. The church exists and ministers for the glory of God. And the church has a lack when you don't step up to minister, to speak, to love, to be hospitable, to come into that place where you realize I am a gift to serve. So the devil lies and says, no, no, you don't actually have anything to do. You don't have anything to give because you're just a mom in the week, you know, just doing one nappy after the other nappy, one nappy after the other nappy. They all look the same. Some, you know, life flowing with living waters and others more stability things. But, you know, nappy, 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 nappy. And I'm sitting in the mother's room and nappy, 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 and eh, nappy, 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 you know. And then you think, like, what does life amount to? You've got something to give. I told Tani Maori, yeah. Ninety-four this year. I said, Tani, you don't need to speak a word when you come to church. But every time you sit there with your gray, oh, oh, it's like a crown God has given you. Because there's so many young people that look up to you and say, I want to be like you when I'm ninety-four. She doesn't miss a morning service or an evening service. Tani kumi, Tani kori. Tani drives in here sometimes into this parking lot. And we pray, hallelujah. But she's going to be at church. But those gray years, they're beautiful. But they come, tonight they're here, and they just sit there. What? You're just sitting on the chair. You're shining the glory of God. Because there's a 12-year-old looking up and saying, "Wow, well, I don't be like that. I'm not going to miss church because I'm planning all my life around all my activities and not planning it around God's activities. It's a choice we all have to make. Am I going to be a consumer or am I going to learn to love fervently, passionately? You have been called to love other people, God passionately and other people around you fervently. That's what Peter says. I want to read again. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Because why? By this the world will know. By this the world will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Because it's going to be a different love. Not a love to get. A love to minister. A love to give. A love to bring the best out of the people around us. And it is challenging. It's challenging. Because we all have needs and we're all like... Lord, there's no food on the table. But when you're on that table and there's no food in front of you, will you say, Lord, I'm thinking about Uganda. Lord, I'm thinking about way more than just myself. Because you already said you're going to provide. So I'm not going to moan about the provision. I'm going to listen to what you actually want to say. Because God will in that moment, He'll prune off an old branch and a new root will spring up. Thank you for listening.